so yeah, Lectio Divina is the one that is, is most often known by people. There are a lot of ways to practice Lectio Divina. One of the reasons why I put it first is because it's most familiar. The other reason is because it is the most versatile. Of all of the prayer practices, regardless of the type of passage that you're, that you're using or, the t or like the genre that it is or the context that you're using it in, whether it's, it's personal prayer practice or a small group study that is consistent or a classroom or a random group of people, um, this, is a, this is a practice that is, that is very useful and versatile. Um, Lectio Divina has many, many ways of practicing it. The, the one I put on here, I think, is the three-step one, is the four-step one. Yeah, three-step one. Um, the one I put on here is the three-step one. If you scan the QR code on the front page, though, there are many other ways of practicing Lectio Divina. And essentially, um, again, it means divine reading in Latin. And so it's a way of allowing the scripture to read us. All of these prayer practices are practices where we are dwelling in a text for several readings. You'll notice that in all of them. All of them say on the first reading, on the second reading, on the third reading, on the fourth reading, sometimes on the fifth reading. Um, sometimes you can do more because it's all about really dwelling in a text and allowing the spirit to reveal God's self through that text. Um, and so Lectio Divina, there's th this one has three readings. Um, and so on the first reading, noticing a word or phrase that stands out to you. On the second re reading, dwelling on or meditating on the idea of why, why is this word or phrase meaning uh, something to me? Um, and then on the third reading, what God might be doing to, um, or what, how God might be calling us to respond to this word or phrase that we're receiving from the text in the context of this passage. Um, so again, Lectio Divina is, is very versatile and relatively simple, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend less time on that one um, compared to some of our, our other our other text. So um, the next one is Ignatian imaginative prayer. And if you ask me, probably it's probably my favorite in this packet. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer practice for really, again, stepping into that story and making it our story. Um, the, the goal of Ignatian imaginative prayer is to, or the, the, um, the, at the end of Ignatian imaginative prayer is to um, identify with someone in the story so that, again, we can imagine how this text applies to our life. Uh, this is a practice that is most valuable for narrative. Um, so you'll notice uh, on the bottom the some suggested texts. Um, all of those are narratives. All of those are narratives, preferably with a lot of characters and with a rich, detailed setting, like the type of story that you can imagine yourself in, the same way we you know, step into other stories and we get lost in a novel. Um, that's what I think a lot of the Bible is inviting us into, is stepping into that story, imagining how we relate to different characters. Um, and, and really powerful, beautiful things can happen through Ignatian imaginative prayer. Um, so this one is one you read over four different times. You just kind of absor absorb the prayer, the, the passage um, for the first reading, and then you begin to imagine yourself in, uh, in the reading over the course of the next several readings. Any, any thoughts or questions about Ignatian Imaginative Prayer or Lectio Divina? Is this familiar to anyone, any, any sort of practice like this? Yeah. I just have a question. Yeah. Are these readings done at, in the same period of time, or are you spacing it out like? Yes, that's a great question. Yeah, so if you scan the QR code, just so you have it for future reference, um, if you scan the QR code on the very last page of the digital version of this document, I compiled some of the my lessons learned from leading, especially students, young people, through these practices 
many, many times. Um, and one of the things is, uh, is practicing how you read the scripture. So this isn't, um, I mean, sometimes with practice, like if, if you read this a lot with groups of people, then you can kind of begin to be like, okay, I can, I can kind of jump into this without much prep. Um, especially if it's a passage you're familiar with. But I would suggest reading the passage several times and always having periods of silence in between each reading. So you're never rushing through. You're always giving space for silence. Oftentimes the spirit speaks in a still, small whisper, right? And so we want to give space for that, for that still, small whisper to happen. Um, if we end up doing a, a practice, if I walk you through one, if you would like to do that, um, I'll kind of model how I, how I have found a helpful way to, to read the scriptures. Of course, everyone is different. Everyone has different styles. I think that's one of the beauties of, of doing these um, practices, especially leading others to these groups, because we can hear the scriptures. And all of our scriptures were originally meant to be heard orally um, or spoken orally and, and heard by congregants and for us to absorb them together. Um, so, so, yeah, so I would say that. Does that answer your question? Cool. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself having to remind people that they're most likely not the hero in the story that they're reading? <laughs> you know, like you're not Caleb or Joshua. You're probably yeah, one yeah. Of the that doubted. Yes. You know? No, that's so good. Um. So yes, <laughs> and especially with Ignatian imaginative prayer, that's why it's really helpful. You can choose stories like one of the ones I have suggested here is Ruth follows Naomi, and it's it's that story of when Ruth originally says like, no, I'm gonna stay with you where you go, I'll go where you stay, I'll stay, etc. And, um, and so for that one, for example, I have to make a decision with a co-ed group of, of men and women, am I going to say on the front end, like, hey, men, you're gonna have to stretch yourself to identify with women. Men are asked, women are asked to identify with the men in scripture all the time. We're asked to identify with Paul and Peter and Jesus and David and, and all these men of the Bible that we're asked to, or, and, and so, yeah, you're gonna have to stretch yourself a little bit to identify with a woman. Um, and I have to make those choices sometimes of like, and, and sometimes you have to read the room, right? Sometimes it's good to let them wrestle with that and in the reflection time say, yeah, there was no one for me to identify with. And to be like, well, actually there were two really awesome, awesome people of faith who were in that story. They just happened to be women, but that wasn't really relevant necessarily to what, how they were following God in that story. And that, that can be an opportunity for really great conversation. It's the same for, um, leaders or heroes, but oftentimes what I'll do is wait until the end because that can often create really fruitful conversation of why are we always so tempted mm -hmm. to identify with the hero. However, I will say when you dwell in a text and read it multiple times and, re and read it slowly and let it sink into your bones, it is very, very rare for, for someone to get to the end of that and to have identified with the hero. Um, usually, like when pe when people are really dwelling in the text, there they end up identifying with one of the broken people, or one of the crowd. Um, one of the one of the prompts for Ignatian imaginative prayer is you might identify with a, an observer that's not mentioned at all. You might identify with a bystander who is observing this, who isn't even in the story, um, and oftentimes that will be a common one as well because um, because they they wrestle with. I identifying with either the hero or um, or the the broken person. Um, if it, for example, if it's a Jesus healing story or something like that. Um, so yeah, it varies, and oftentimes I'll wait until the end in the reflection time. Um, but it depends on your context. Sometimes a story needs a lot of context because it's hard to imagine yourself in a story where you're like, "What's happening? Who's Jesus?" Um, 
but it, so it just, it just depends on the group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good questions about Ignatian imaginative prayer. I know we're going fast, yes. I think of the Bible of uh, kind of a conversation that God's having with humankind. Mm -hmm. and I'm just a member, and sometimes I wonder, who am I to pray to God? Mm -hmm. You know, because he's so vast and infinite and more capable, I'm mm -hmm. going, who am I? And I like the idea of reading slowly and um, letting it soak in. And yeah. the more I've learned to read the Bible, I realize that different parts can cross-reference to other parts. Mm -hmm. And I realize this is really a spiritual book. Yeah. But it's like scrambled eggs. <laughs> it's really difficult to analyze. The hidden nuggets are but, uh, hidden. It, it has something for everybody if you take your time. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that has been a really surprising thing, both in my own journey. I really think that's that's powerful. For, for me, the idea of praying to God when God knows my own heart and my own soul, and my own thoughts more intimately than I do that was one of the things I really struggled with with prayer. And the thing with scripture prayer practices is allowing God to, to allow those things that God knows are there that we don't to bubble up to the surface of our hearts and our minds and our spirits so that we can, we can pay attention to those things. Another thing with these practices is, um, and again, this is on that final sheet in the digital version of this. Um, so you don't have to put, commit any of this to memory, but um, but another thing that we'll do is we always center at the beginning of these practices. So I'll often say like, take a few deep breaths, like sit in a comfortable but alert position. Like you can rest your hands on your lap or you can rest your hands like on your, on your lap, kind of open palmed as a, as an image of, as a symbol of being willing to receive. Um, and so it becomes an embodied, an embodied prayer too. So it's not just our minds, hearts, and spirits. It's also our bodies that are participating in, in paying attention. Um, and that's a really good thing too. I always say, when your mind wanders, bring it back to your breath and the sound of my voice. When your mind wanders, bring it back to my, back to your breath and to the sound of my voice as I'm reading the scriptures, because um, it's inevitable, right? We're not used to sitting in silence. We're certainly, I mean, I am guilty of this. I listen to all of my podcasts on audiobooks on 1.75 speed. And I'm a fast talker, if you haven't noticed already. <laughs> I like to talk, I, I, like to, I like to crank it out. And so we're not, we're not uh, used to absorbing really, really slowly. And especially when we're tempted to say like, I know these, I know the story already. There's nothing new in this story that I could possibly hear. And um, almost always from, from those students who grew up in the church and who've heard these stories since before they were born, <laughs> um, those are, they're often the ones where when they sit in a very familiar story and they hear it three, four, five times in a row slowly, um, they always notice something different. It's a very powerful experience, especially leading young people, leading a group through it. That would be true for anyone. I just happen to lead young people. Can you say what you said when your mind wonders, what do you do? Um, I say when your mind wanders, bring it back to your breath and to the sound of my voice. Um, and, and part of that is just permission to, first of all, your mind will wander. Second of all, don't get so distracted by what you've missed that you then get further entrenched or for, you get further distracted. Um, and that's one of the benefits of reading it multiple times is that you miss it on one reading, you'll probably catch it on the next reading. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's Ignatian imaginative prayer. And I, again, I know I'm flying through these. And if there's any in particular, keep in mind the one you might want to practice. Um, and if we have time, we can, we can do that together. 
Um, festooning is the most controversial in this, um, <laughs> in this packet. Some people love it, like are obsessed with it. Like it is one of their, the, the, they, it, it comes as a breath of fresh air, a drink of clean water of like, this is what I've been longing for as a way to connect with God in a meaningful way. Um, other people are like, I hate this. I never want to do this again. Don't make me do this again. I'm leaving. <laughs> and, and it's very controversial. And that's because it's a very creative act. Um, so festooning, you'll notice there aren't multiple readings, though it does require, it does require a, a deep indwelling in the scripture. Um, festooning means to decorate or to adorn. So imagine like adding ornaments to a Christmas tree or putting icing on a birthday cake or something like that. It's not substantively changing the thing itself and it is adding to it in such a way that it, it makes it different for this particular moment or occasion. Um, so festooning is, is particularly good with uh, like poems, psalms, or prayers in the Bible which every book of the Bible has some sort of poem, psalm, or prayer in it in some capacity. Um, for example, the Gospels of Jesus obviously have tons of stories, but you'll get sprinklings of poems and prayers, prayers throughout. Um, think like the Magnificat of Mary would be an example. The Lord's Prayer would be an example. Um, or quote, or quoting Isaiah, you know, Jesus likes to quote the Old Testament. Um, so that kind of thing as well. Um, Jonah 2 is a really good is a really good. Um, good one for this any of the psalms so what festooning does is we read the passage multiple times slowly um, a couple times it kind of depends on how familiar you are with the passage um, read it a couple times and then you begin to write it but it's not just writing it in a paraphrase that you more understand it it is writing it for as your own prayer so for your own context um, if you are on the digital version, I linked to a festooning I wrote for a communal context. I don't typically do festooning for a communal context. It's usually a very private and personal prayer practice um, because it is writing out an intimate prayer using the words of scripture as a guide and as a, um, yeah, as a guide. But for this particular circumstance, I was asked, I was asked to preach. It was the third or fourth um, week after we had gone virtual um, because of COVID. So this was in March or April of 2020. And um, I had no inspiration. I was spiritually just drained. I was like, literally, there, I have nothing. I have nothing to say. Um, the, we, it was a church that pre preached from the liturgical calendar, and I was looking over the liturgy. Um, one of them was Psalm 23. And, um, and so I wrote, a, instead of preaching, instead of writing a sermon, I wrote a festooning on Psalm 23. And you can read it. Um, it's, I did write it for public, so public you know, I, I did write it for the public, so it's not private. Um, but I should, have, I should have pulled it up and thought I had to do that, but I didn't. So, <laughs> um, but it says things like, you know, it says, you, you know, you lead me by quiet waters. And I talked about walking alongside Radnor Lake, which is a local lake in Nashville, and thinking about, like, I don't have anywhere to be, so I can just enjoy like watching the turtles sit on their logs and watching the birds fly from branch to branch. And life has slowed down in a way that's really beautiful, even in the midst of the chaos. And so even as we walk through the valley of shadow and death and pandemic and sickness and you know controversy and conflict and all of that, so, so you see how like those kinds of things, I kind of put the pandemic overlay and the, the political division that came with that into and the gifts of, of quiet and, and slowness that came with those early weeks of the pandemic, I kind of brought that into Psalm 23. And of course it wasn't a Psalm in itself, but it became a really sweet meditation that I look back on now, like, wow, I can't believe I was there. 
And, that, and that's the sweetness of, of festooning is at the end, whether you do it privately or publicly, um, you have this, this snapshot of, um, of your spiritual journey or your community's spiritual journey um, through a psalm that is inspired by, by scripture. So any thoughts on festooning? Very controversial. Some people are like, wow, I love this practice because they, they love the creative portion of it and they, they love the idea that they can worship God through that creativity. Um, and other people are like, that's just not, that's just not me. Um, and they get stressed out. So I pulled it up and I, I, really, I think it's beautiful, but people might want to hear. So yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, you can read it. The Lord is our shepherd. We want for nothing. When we cannot go to concerts or to restaurants or even to church, God shows us the trees coming back to life and the flowers that are in bloom all around us. The Lord leads us through the forest along the banks of Ratner Lake. Mm -hmm. So, beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate that. And of course, that one's much more polished because typically with festooning, so festooning is a really difficult one to lead a group through because everyone will take different amounts of time with different lines. Um, I still do it, I, and I still have done it, and it can be a very meaningful way to teach festooning to, to a group of people. Um, but, uh, but it is more challenging because it's, you know, everyone might, you might take a lot of time on one verse and not very much time at all on another verse, just kind of depending on where you are. Yeah. It seems like it requires you to be very intentional about applying the scripture to your personal experience yeah. in your space. And if you're not willing to um, sit and think about your, your present circumstances or experiences, right. if, if you'd rather avoid those, right. then this wouldn't be for you. But this is a way to be intentional about taking the word and yeah. applying it to your personal situations to help you move forward. Yes, definitely. I think that's a really wise observation. And I'll add too, like as especially if these are meaningful for your, if you practice these in your own devotional time as you're as you're reading the Bible and they become meaningful for you, you can start combining them. So think about like doing a Lectio Divina where you're really reading and soaking up and allowing God to kind of allow those things to bubble up in you as you're reading the scripture and making it relevant and then kind of transitioning into a festooning. And how how often are we like, wow, I, I just want to, I want to read through the Bible. I'm on my daily reading plan. I want to get through it. And instead, what would happen if we really soaked in Psalm 23 for a day and then the next day returned to the Psalm and said, okay, now like I'm going to write a festooning out of that, out of what God revealed to me yesterday and in the last 24 hours or something. And that, that, could, be, that could be done with any Psalm, poem, or prayer in scripture. Um, another one I've done, some of the discourse actually works too, some of Paul's discourse, like 1 Corinthians 13 is a really fun one to festoon. Um, and that one has a tender place in my heart because there was a student who was very, very affected by, um, by doing a festooning, a lead festooning by, of, of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, a really good one to do. So there are, there are other ones as well that, that you can do with festooning. You can get a little creative as you get to know these practices. Yeah? I'm curious as to where that name came from. Festooning. You know, I actually don't know. Um, a woman named Christine Sa, who is now a minister. Do you know where she's a minister now? Yeah. She had said that, and I remembered. So I, I got this practice from a woman named Christine Sa. She used to work here at Pepperdine um, when I was a grad student. She led led us through this practice, and um, she's now a minister inland. But 
Um, I remembered her saying C.S. Lewis, and I can't find it anywhere. Um, it's been a while since I've looked, but um, I did try and find it at one point. of like, where did she get this festooning? Um, and I'm, I never quite found it exactly. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, it's but it's, it's, what's that? I already thought of cartooning, and you make your life in it. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, that'd be good I mean, of, of drawing for people who are artists. <laughs> yeah. Now that would stress me out. <laughs> that cartoon, the picture, putting it into words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Good. Okay. So the fourth one is dwelling in the word. Um, this is the counterpart to festooning, whereas festooning is okay but challenging to do as a small group. Um, dwelling in the word can only be done in a group properly. Now, of course, could you take these instructions and like kind of modify them to sort of do it on your own? I guess so. You'd pretty much have Lectio Divina at that point. Um, dwelling in the word is specifically designed as a group practice um, and done holistically. It's done. It's it's uh, designed to be a group practice with a consistent group of people. So not just with like a one-time meeting, but with a consistent group of people who is meeting weekly or monthly, some, somewhat regularly. Um, dwelling in the word, done, done properly, done in its, um, in its original intent, is taking one passage of scripture that is meaningful for your community in some way. So think like if you have a passage that is kind of core to your church's mission statement um, or is just really meaningful to your community. Um, a, you know, one passage might be the Ministry of Reconciliation that was preached on at the keynote last night. That's a that's a core text for a lot of people thinking about like our purpose in um, our purpose as as people of faith and Christ followers is taking one of those core texts and reading it together every single time you meet. Sometimes four years. People do it properly. Pe people will sometimes do it four years, um, and 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 it is amazing. I, I've never done this. I've never done it properly. <laughs> I've only ever done it with sporadic groups and then introduced it to them as, but this is how you do it properly. Um, so I've never actually done dwelling in the word properly, but, um, but Sherelle Russell, who is here, um, and she's a speaker. I don't know when her session is, but she's a speaker. She's also, she was a year ahead of me in my doctor of ministry cohort. And, um, and she does it with her church, and it has been a very transformative experience for her. So I got, this, I got this one from her. So if you happen to see a Sherelle Russell, you can ask her about dwelling in the word. Um, but it is a very transformative practice for communities. And so for dwelling in the word, again, you can do it with a sporadic group. I have done it. It's very meaningful, especially as a, it's almost like an icebreaker, <laughs> a very meaningful icebreaker when it's done with a, a sporadic group. Um, with a consistent group, it is a, it is a community deepener. Um, it really deepens the community. So the way you practice dwelling in the word is you read it once or twice together. Of course, presumably you've been reading this passage for, you know, every week for several weeks or months or years. Um, so you read it once or twice together and then you break off into pairs and you talk to each other about what you have learned. So you spend, set a timer and, um, and you uh, spend three minutes, one person sharing, three to five minutes, and then three to five minutes of the other person sharing um, of what they, what they got from it. So it's kind of like Lectio Divina and then sharing like, what you got from it, uh, but it's not as constrained as like word or phrase or something like that. It's just like, what did you get? What, what, what stood out to you? What, what, how did this transform you? Um, and the key part of this practice is that we don't just experience God's spirit 
through the reading and the and the hearing of it for ourselves, we then experience God's spirit again through what the other person experienced through the scripture. Does that make sense? Um, so, so this one kind of has that dual communal layer. Um, and then, of course, by partnering up, and again, if you're with a consistent group of people over weeks, months, years, and you're partnering up with different partners each time, what a great way to, um, to get to know other people. And then the final piece of it is that then you share with the whole group what your partner said about what they got out of the passage. Um, and again, that part takes some trust and, um, and, and, and sometimes is better done in, in a more consistent group. But all of that is adaptable for a one-time group or a sporadic group as well. Um, but yeah, that, that is dwelling in the word. That also allows us to practice some deep listening skills, which are pretty valuable, um, where you have to really pay attention to what someone is saying and not just be thinking about what you're going to say or what you've already said. Um, critiquing it, as sometimes I'll do after I finish talking, I'm like, oh, I should have said that differently. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, that's, so it requires a deep listening and then to faithfully um, regurgitate that for a larger group of people or synthesize that for, for a larger group of people. So, yeah. So I could see, I guess, a potential danger with this. Mm -hmm. Let's say you've been doing the same section with the same group for two years. Mm -hmm. But then you, as the minister, begin to feel led by the Holy Spirit to change the passage. Yeah. But these this group of people have done the exact same thing for two years. Yeah. Do you get, I mean, do you think it's more appropriate to get confirmation from everybody there? Like, are we all in full agreement to change this? Do we all need to pray about changing this for a month and then see what happens? Yeah. Do you as the minister kind of kind of say, hey, this is where I feel led by the Holy Spirit to go with this? Mm -hmm. Not saying you're changing the practice, but the scripture portion you're focusing on. Yeah. Um, so I would say, first, that's probably a better question for a minister who, is, who has truly led a congregation through this over a long period of time. So I'm not necessarily the authority on that particular question. What I will say is, um, is I tend to think of discernment with the Holy Spirit as a communal practice in itself. Um, and so my leaning would be, and of course this would very much depend on context and so many other different kinds of factors, but my leaning would say, if someone is experiencing a stirring of the Holy Spirit to, to change any, anything at any time, right? <laughs> like any, any decision that we make, um, that that kind of confirmation alongside the community, especially the community who it affects, is, is an important part of the process. But it would, I would say it, it really depends. Um, and I don't think anyone needs to be like, you know, you start a text and like, okay, you are now married to that text for eternity. Um, I, don't, I don't think it needs to be that way. I think especially, now it is astounding what I've heard from people who have done this, how much. They never run out of things to say about the passage, which is like like unfathomable to me. Um, but yeah, yeah. John. I, I was just going to say, I know, I know some people that do this in the longer term. It's a preset commitment. So the group, the group is committing. It's not just like endless, like just keep going until someone gets an inkling. It's like we as a group have decided to do this for a year. Okay. And so then you have, it's part of your communal commitment to each other to do it for a certain amount. Any other things about telling you? Yeah. Kind of a little bit similar, but a little bit different, and can be done privately, is to take three versions of a scripture and try to get one mm. very coming from different, you know, from very different spaces. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. And, and then, and why did this person do this different? You know, why is that one? Um, I love that. Then different. Yeah. 
too, the message has helped mm. a whole lot as far, as far as I'm concerned with that kind of... Um, Thinking about things differently, uh, yeah, yeah. Especially right alongside a translation, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a great idea. I never heard of that before. Yeah, that's a good idea. Good. So our, our fifth and final practice um, is called Reading from the Margins. Um, this one entails a lot, requires a extra extra wisdom as, as, as you're leading it because it does, it does come with some risks, um, especially depending on the group that you're leading through it. Um, so ideally, one of the ways that I've, again, this is not a way I've practiced reading from the margins, but the way I've, I've, people have talked about reading from the margins is reading passages with people from the margins. Um, and that can mean a lot of different things. And allowing the people from the margins to actually speak wisdom and take the lead in interpretation and application and, and experience of, of the passage itself. Um, and of course, that requires relationship, that requires long-term things. I love this practice, um, and I wanted to experiment with what that would look like with a group of students who is, you know, signed up for what, what, we're call, what are called breakouts at Lipscomb, which are like, you know, part of the chapel requirement, and, and that's, that's how I originally started leading these scripture prayer practices with students. And we couldn't just, you know, I, I, first of all, I would never put a student on the spot and say like, in what way are you from the margins, <laughs> you know, <laughs> never do that. And we also didn't, where we were limited in our capacities to like travel elsewhere and read from the margins. So I was trying to think about, okay, how can we, how can we adapt this? So this one is kind of like a one of my own invention and, um, and thankfully has gone pretty well, um, but is open for revision. So this is like the most open-ended one, I would say, depending on your context and depending on your own life experiences and your own church communities, that this one is very, very open to, to change. Um, notice that at the top it says this practice requires open-mindedness, generosity, and a learning spirit. A lot of humility is required. Um, I will say before we even begin, just as a caveat, um, before I even start thing, we'll, we're, we're never imagining ourselves as a person from the margins in this, in this passage. It's very important to not try to imagine yourself as a person from the margins. We can never presume to know how someone else would read scripture. Um, and certainly, yeah, we never want to generalize either. Um, but in this practice, what we do is place ourselves in, in our imaginations in a circumstance to see what happens in us as we read a scripture and imagine ourselves in a place. Um, so anyway, I'll, I'll go through the thing and, that, and it'll make more sense. So on the first reading, we notice the emotions that rise up in us, um, what comforts us, what offends us, uh, what we're drawn to, what we want to, what we feel tempted to skim over or ignore. So first two readings were we're just in our own minds. We're just paying attention to what, what a passage arises in us. Um, on the second reading, we notice our thoughts. So what confirms what we already believe, what challenges what we already believe, um, what we want to amplify, what we wish wasn't in the Bible, um, which students are always, when I, whenever I say that to students, okay, imagine what you wish wasn't in the Bible at all, what's a little bit inconvenient or what's too, too difficult to wrestle with. Um, and, so, and so that's what we do on the second reading. On the third reading, we begin to imagine ourselves in a place that is unfamiliar or perhaps even uncomfortable. And depending on the passage, that could be a, a huge range of places. Um, what, some examples are an ICU. So think about like a healing story or, or something like that or a, or a, a story of, of death or injury. Um, an ICU or an emergency room or something like that. Um, a prison, uh, a soup kitchen, a refugee camp. Um, other ones I've done in, the, in, the, in, in privacy, I haven't 
invite, but, but thinking about like uh, a shelter for people who have experienced abuse or other types of violence. Um, so again, we are never imagining ourselves as people in those situations. We are imagining how settings can affect the way we, we hear scripture. Um, and I think that's a valuable practice, at least for me, because oftentimes I am reading scripture in the comfort of my own home or in a classroom like this. That is, those are the two primary, or, or, in, or in church, of course. Um, but those are the two primary, the three primary settings in which I'm, I'm reading and absorbing scripture. And scripture sounds very different when you're, um, when you're, you know, in Central Park at dusk or whatever. <laughs> You know, fill in the gaps, be creative with, with a place. But again, we are, that, we are ourselves in that place. Um, and then on the fourth reading, we imagine putting an audience in front of us. Um, and that is very open-ended, an audience in front of us. And again, we are not imagining how will that audience respond, and we're not imagining what will that audience say, because we cannot presume to know that. We are simply putting the audience in front of us, imagining ourselves reading the scripture out loud, and noticing what changes within ourselves. Does that make sense? You, you can hear how this, how this practice can be risky, right? And it, it needs to be practiced with a lot of, a lot of wisdom and, and a lot of self-grace um, and a lot of grace for each other. But it also has, has started some really powerful and beautiful conversations. Um, so I'm still experimenting with it. I'd love to hear how you end up adapting it, if you, if you ever use it, um, in ways that are, that are good. Um, I have some suggested texts there. I think that this is a really good, uh, really good practice for those really challenging texts that we that we have to wrestle with. Of all stripes, like all different kinds of texts in the Bible, are challenging, or inconvenient, or uncomfortable, or convicting. Um, and and reading them in other in in um, placing ourselves in other places while we read them can be really enlightening. So, yeah. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, that's the, the goal is to allow other people to shape, other pre people and circumstances to shape how we experience the Bible and to really notice the emotions and thoughts within us. What might sound scary to us might sound very liberative to, um, to someone else. And so setting ourselves in other settings can help us experience that. Um, and so yes, in, in some way, it is an empathetic step into trying to understand how someone else might experience the scripture without presuming to know right. what they would be experiencing, unless we are reading it with someone. And of course, if, we, if, if you are in a circumstance or if you're ever in a context where you're able to do reading from the margins with someone from the margins in some capacity, um, then, um, then, you know, it's important to not generalize their statement. You know, if we're, if we're able to read this, we, at, at Lipscomb we had a program called the Life Program. It's an incredible program where we ha women in, um, who are imprisoned can get their, get their degrees, their college degrees. Um, so it's an amazing, amazing program. And you know, they'll do, they, they do Bible classes and stuff like that. Um, and of course, a woman who says, this is how I'm reading this text, is never representative of all women who are imprisoned everywhere, right? You know, this is how this woman who ha happens to be in prison reads this text. Um, and then some people have, have criticized the name, even reading from the margins, that that further marginalizes people from the margins. Um, but I, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard or um, a, another name that, that captures it quite as much. Um, Jesus certainly talks about, about the marginalized, and um, of course, reading from the margins is an invitation to bring the margins into the center, which is what Jesus was, 
was hoping for. But those are all just kind of like, just so you know, like especially if you do bring this into a group context, this comes with some caveats and with a lot of humility. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Oh, sorry, I thought I saw a hand raised. All right, um, well, I talked fast, but we're out of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I really thought that we would have time to, uh, to practice one of these. Um, but I would love to hear just any feedback. Again, I know we moved through a lot. Um, again, so the QR code, if you scan it, you'll see on the table of contents what's there. There are more options for Lectio Divina. Um, there is the full festooning. Sarah read a, a small portion of my example, but there's also that full example if you kind of want to see what that, what that could look like. Especially if you preach or teach in any way, that, that can be a really great resource, not necessarily to replace a sermon like what I did, um, but to enhance a sermon that's, that's something I've done um, is just take a verse or two and like festoon it, so to speak, or, or something um, as, as just like a small portion of my sermon. So there's that, and then there's also a few tips and tricks if you're, if you're leading other people through these practices, some really good, good um, postures and practices to put into place as you're leading others through that. So that's all on the digital version, and of course you are more than welcome to take the print version as well. I'm sorry I didn't print more, um, and I'm just really grateful, and if you have any questions, I'll be here. So thank you, everyone.